So, welcome back. Are we starting? Well, it's just, you know, oh, the, okay, you know okay. sometimes they do a bit before. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realise. Uh, Good idea. <laughs> well, it was. <laughs> oh, never mind. Just play the jingle. Now come along and listen to us talk with the Bon Jam. Go and have a lovely little walk with the Bon Jam. Let me put it on and go to bed with the Bon Jam. Or grab yourself a slice of toast and spread with the Bon Jam. Hello and welcome to Bon Jam with me, Simon Jeffrey, and I'm joined by the match to my lighter. It's Mr. James Turner. Hello, Simon. Hello. You all right? Yes, and uh, much like that famous quote from the film, I myself am much better until I go wrong. Can I borrow a match? I use a lighter. It's better still. Until they go wrong. Exactly. I mean, obviously, I know in the film that's like the kind of spy phrase they use to greet each other, but... Yeah. In the 60s, were, were cigarette lighters just really unreliable? <laughs> um, were they really famous disasters? Yeah. Uh, Imagine the audience in the 60s going, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I can identify with that. I've had, I've had many a lighter go wrong on me. <laughs> anyway, before we begin, uh, some admin, just in the interest of transparency. Uh, this is our second batch of recordings. Uh, we recorded the first four episodes a long time ago now. It was uh, September... Was it September? Oh 2018. Right. Uh, we sat on them for a long time because um, I had other things going on and, and so did you, James. I yep. know you, uh, yeah. you've you had a honeymoon since then. Honeymoon, <laughs> completed my teacher training. It's, wow. uh, it's been all go. Busy times. Yeah. And possibly the most important thing that's happened since then, Bon Jam is now on Spotify. Yeah. Yes, you can find Bon Jam on Spotify. Um it's a bit tricky to find, but what I've found works is if you search for Bond Jam Simon and then click on the search podcast uh, option, then you should be able to find it. Uh, that's not me discriminating against you, James. It's just you happen to share a name with our eponymous <laughs> character, and so putting James in doesn't yeah, really that's, narrow that's it down. Good point. Yeah. I, whew, I'm off the hook. <laughs> so, from Russia with Love. That's mm. the episode, if you hadn't gathered by the intro, that is what we are talking about today. I'd like to ask you a question. Go on. James, can you describe the plot for me? Well, you've got to bear in mind, it has been a while since I last saw the film, even though I've seen the film about 100 odd times. <laughs> um, but, yes, so um, there's, there is the... Uh, I got Are you looking at a book there, James? I was going to call it the ATAC. Um, You're jumping a bit ahead of this. Yeah, I know, yeah. What the hell? What's it called now? I'm panicking. What is it? Please help me. It's the lector. The lector. Yes, okay, so let's start again. Yes, so um, <laughs> there is an opportunity for Bond to acquire the lector device. Um, well and, remembered. Yes, thank you. Um, and it's under Russian control... Is that right? I'm not helping you. Okay, right, okay. This is <laughs> recollecting something that I've not watched for probably over two years. Wow, Maybe, okay. yeah, so... Um, you, so didn't, you didn't do your research like with Doctor No, where you... Yeah, I actually, you, actually watched Doctor No like a day before, yeah. You're did. getting complacent. Five episodes in and you're already slacking off. I was hoping my memory would serve me uh, serve me well today. but Well, uh, it's, it's worked so far. Uh, so anyway, Bond has to acquire the Lecter device. He's yes. been given the opportunity to from a girl who has apparently fallen in love with James Bond. A woman. A woman, sorry. <laughs> and she says, I can give you the Lecter device. Bond senses this as a trap, as does MI6. 
but they're going to go along with it because they really, really want this Lecter device. So he goes along with the uh, with the pretense to get this device, and it goes okay so far until um, because you get the device, and then eventually, what happens then? Um, oh God, the trick Bond into thinking that. Oh, damn it. <laughs> so the, it gets actually basically the, everything goes smoothly until they get to the train. And that's when Grant's there and they're trying to make James Bond look like an idiot for falling in love with this Russian girl and betraying his country. And maybe I'm just making all this up now. Um, <laughs> I love the confidence that you started off with and it's just slowly dwindling yeah. away. And, and because the, the whole point for Spectre is behind this is to play Russia and the UK off each other. Yes. As well as getting revenge on James Bond for killing Dr. No, one of their high-ranking Spectre operatives. That's right, yes. A little bit of early continuity between movies there. Yeah. The reason I asked you this is because I don't know if I could explain the plot to you. Oh, God, because I thought you were were judging me on how well I can remember this story. Well, partly. Okay. But (laughs) it was always been one of the more convoluted and tricky to understand plots you do have to sort of pay a bit more attention than some other films yeah absolutely but that actually makes me really like from russia with love oh i do yeah for for me i mean i'm just gonna get this out there now from russia with love is perhaps my favorite connery film yeah uh and i think that might be because it's perhaps more of an espionage thriller yes than any of the other uh bond films i think i have um grown to appreciate it as i've got older yeah more yeah. than i used to as a child i i thought i mean it's just it's not aimed particularly at children i guess um, no, I, I agree with that i struggled to get my head around some of it and other bits of it just weren't as glossy and uh high velocity and white knuckle as later entries became uh, mm. in terms of the action and and the action is not necessarily where From Russia With Love excels. It excels in its brooding atmosphere. Yeah. Having said that, there are a couple of really standout sequences in the film. Mm-hmm. The big gypsy camp yeah. scene. Yeah. Obviously the famous close quarters train fight scene. One mm-hmm. of the most famous yeah. close quarters fights in cinema, I think. Um, and so it does excel in those particular scenes. Yeah, this is kind of the final film before Goldfinger took that much further in terms of the fantasy elements yes. of the Bond franchise I think it becomes known for. I think for better or worse, Goldfinger was the one that um, cemented what then became the standard for, yeah. for future films. And, and I don't know that we would have got a From Russia With Love film after Goldfinger. I think mm-hmm. it could have only happened when it did. I think one of the things that makes it stand out for me is the difference between From Russia With Love and Doctor No. Yes. I think the biggest difference for me is the way uh, it feels much less dated, even though it came out a year later. It's unbelievable that there is such a short time between them. I think we said before that Doctor No almost feels like it was made a a decade before Mm. in certain elements. I mean, I really like Doctor No. I think maybe more than you do. Yeah, I know. I still love Doctor No for what it is, but I think it, it does date more than From Much With Love does, and that, which is why I find From Much With Love is the better film out of the two for me. Yes, I think it's more accomplished across the board in every area, pretty much. Mm. 
it's just for me there's a certain freshness and a almost a naivety about Doctor No that I really quite like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I completely see your point, and I can almost concede that yes, from Russia with Love is clearly a better film. I think a big contributing factor is the score as well. Yes, the score for this, and I think music can date a film massively. Absolutely, I was going to bring it up. John Barry obviously had a huge impact across the whole series, mm-hmm. and this was his first one out as the, the composer, the composer yeah. of the entire score. Obviously, he orchestrated the James Bond theme in Doctor No, but he didn't do the whole score. Mm-hmm. The music is brassy and sexy, yeah, and it really adds a, a layer of kind of an exotic adventure to it. Yeah. Um and it, it, you don't go to anywhere really tropical with from Russia with Love. It's no. all you set in, you know, Turkey for the majority of the film. That's it. Yeah. Does it does it take place in Russia at all? This is what I was wondering. I don't think it does. Does it? No, because they end up in Venice at the end. Obviously, the characters are from Russia. Yeah. But we never go to Russia. No. In the film. So it's not exactly the exotic locations that we have now become accustomed to. No, and I think that maybe is something that I do still like about Doctor No. Yeah. But what it doesn't have in tropical sunshine, it more than makes up for in kind of dark, broody atmosphere. The one thing I was going to say about John Barry's score is that the bits that he wrote for it are brilliant and rich and really elevate the film above what came before it. And if Doctor No had a score like this, then maybe it would be a tough call. Yeah, even more so. so, Yeah, yeah, uh, I'd agree with that. But there is still a sort of slightly overzealous use of that Bond theme, the original recording. Yeah, and it it doesn't always suit it. No, uh, you, you can tell it's age as soon as that gets played. I don't know if it's the quality of the recording. I mean, it's a great score. It's oh, yeah, a great yeah. theme, but it has a sort of trebly, slightly mm, tinny yes. kind of sound to yeah. it. And I think at one point they're playing it like full blast and Bond's not doing anything. Is he yeah. just checking his hotel room? I think he is, yeah. And you've got the whole... The f- da 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 it's like, Wow. That's the coolest che- hotel when, check-in I've ever when seen. When you think of how reluctant they are to use that theme in the modern films, yeah. they're like, oh no, we can, only, we can only use that at very, very key moments, if at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Back in those days, they were just like, Bond's checking his luggage. <laughs> <Da-da-da-da>. <laughs> it's a bit much. Yeah. The other thing about the score that lets it down a little bit is at a certain point, it's almost like when they were editing it, they were like, oh, John Barry hasn't written enough music for this film. Mm. Let's reuse Doctor No music. Yeah. There's yeah, a bit, yeah. I think, with the helicopter, and then it goes into the Doctor No music. And again, it's just the quality of the recording. You can tell instantly that it's like, this is an older piece of music, even though it is somehow only a year old. (laughs) But yeah, other than that, I think the music is the first in a long line of brilliant John Barry scores, and I don't really have anything to complain about. We still don't really get a title song at this point. Yeah, because it's an instrumental opening. At the the beginning it is. Yeah, um, but we are introduced to a pre-credits sequence. Yes. Um, What are your thoughts on this sequence? Um, I really like it because there's a sense of uh, enigma. 
Can you describe what happens in it? Yeah, so Bond is being stalked by Red Grant, and um, we think Bond is about to beat this battle, but then Grant gets the better of Bond and strangles him to death. And it turns out he's just wearing a James Bond mask, which is an incredibly lifelike mask as well. Um, <laughs> Until it comes to taking it off. Yeah. I kind of like the enigma that comes with that sequence, the <clears throat> mystery of what what is going on here. Yeah. We realise it's like a little training thing. Although it is a bit odd that they do have a Sean Connery, James Bond I was mask gonna say, in their pretrain. So your enjoyment of that scene is not affected in any way by the fact it makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, well, <laughs> not at all. The way I see it is they found out that Bond was behind Dr. No's death and they were like, you know what, let's get a photograph of his face, we'll make a mask out of that face and we'll train every Spectre agent to take revenge on Bond by train with a random Spectre agent with a mask on of James Bond. But why does he need to be wearing the mask for them to train against him? Because maybe they have so much hatred for Bond that there's like, right, who's the worst agent inspector at the minute? You're the worst, so you have to wear the mask. Oh, I'm on mask duty again today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you think the guy in the Sean Connery mask, Pulled. sorry, sorry, the James Bond mask, is a Spectre agent? Oh yeah, yeah. Because well, why, why would it? Why would he not be? Well, that's what I'm saying. I, I don't think this scene makes sense, and you're arguing that it does. <laughs> because so let's try and make it make sense. Yeah, well, that's, uh, I, I just think that it's at the Spectre training facility. Well, obviously, they are training because all the lights come up and say, "Oh, that's the quickest you've you've killed the fake James Bond." Um, <laughs> but he does kill him. That's the point. Yeah. Well, like if the other guy got off the floor and was like, "Well done," <laughs> you know, that'd almost be okay. But yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. But yeah. I got the impression this was very much like training up Grant in particular yeah, by just yeah. throwing fodder his way and just yeah. going like, try and beat this one. Another theory is that it's not a Spectre agent that he's up against, but maybe a prisoner that they've released into the hedge maze saying, fight your way out. But before you go... Here's a disguise so we can't tell it's... Let's stick this rubber face to you. I mean, if we take it as red that whether it's a Spectre agent under that mask or a prisoner or some kind of strange volunteer. <laughs> Do you think it's done in a way to somehow train Grant in a kind of brainwashing way? Yeah. To program yeah. him against that face? Maybe they told the guy with the mask that, you know what, this Red Grant guy is not that great. You'll probably win. So might as well just wear the mask. It is Spectre at the end of the day and it, they could just have given them a sadistic ultimatum yeah. and said, only one of you is getting out of this alive. Yeah. Go. you got two minutes to hide in the hedge maze. Yeah. First one back lives. Yeah. But before you go, let me glue <laughs> this mask to your face. <laughs> or they could say, well, you know what? There's a disguise somewhere in the hedge maze. If you can get that disguise and then get out, then you're the winner. <laughs> what sort of training is that? So th this guy was actually ahead of Red Grant. So the other guy got this guy's put it on. Right. So they're actually playing a game of of find the disguise and, and then out. find your way out of the maze. So when Grant kills Fake Bond, yes, Red Grant's like, yeah, now I get to wear the disguise. But then they stop the mission as soon as the guy's dead, and it's like, well, you can't do the mission anymore because you've killed <laughs> the, the, the opposing player. You did it in record timing. Yeah, um, I, I think I think we've cracked it. Yeah, that's I it. I think that's it. Yeah. 
Do you think when he was getting garroted, he was like, what are you doing? <laughs> this isn't the game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Solved it. I will never be able to watch that scene again the same way. Uh, <laughs> well, thanks for clarifying that for me. Uh, what did you think of Grant? Um, Red Grant, or Grant, whichever way you Grant. want to say it. Grant. I said Grant. I think I said Grant. Well, you're from Stockport. Yeah, that's Grant, obviously. Um, yes, he's one of my favourite um, villains of the Bond series. And I think it's he's not got much screen time. He just appears here and there mm. throughout most of the movie. I think what's great about him is that you start off thinking he's going to be the sort of silent assassin type. Yeah. A man of few words. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't yeah. say anything when Rosa Klebb just a brute. comes and punches him in the stomach yeah. for some reason. Um, but then as the film progresses, you realise he's not just a silent assassin mm. and he becomes a man of many words. Yeah, highly intelligent. Yeah, and, and it doesn't lose its edge by doing that. If anything, it's like more scary as a character, the fact that he can perfectly full bond into thinking oh, he's, yeah. he's this Nash character. Yeah. At that point in the film, I think when he does start to up the dialogue that he has, it actually he takes on another kind of level of threat. He's not just the physical thug of uh, an enemy higher up. He is almost the main villain of the piece, even though he's working for other people. The, we as an audience, if we were watching this for the first time, we know that obviously Grant is yes. a spectre agent. So as an audience, we're wondering how far will it take Bond to realise... Yeah, and that's the great thing about it, is that there are situations in which Bond actually puts himself at risk by kind of leaving himself wide open to an attack, if it were to come at that point. In some films where they choose to keep a reveal till later and the audience finds out at the same time, that can really work. But in this case, it really works that the audience knows well ahead of Bond. And then you really sense that danger when Grant has the upper hand in that train cabin. Yes, and they end up having that brutal confrontation in the yeah. the train but i love the bit just leading up to it where grant reveals what a complete idiot bond's been making of himself yeah. and then he's like the first won't kill you not even the second not even the third not until you call over here and kiss my kiss foot. my foot kiss my foot it has a very visceral anger about it and it's like wow, maybe they have been training him up against masked assailants for, for months ahead of this. This whole time has been leading to this. I don't know how many people dressed as James Bond that I've had to kill just to get up to this moment. I can't wait to pull your face off at the end of this. That would be a different film altogether. Yes. So then, brilliantly, Bond gains the upper hand by essentially trying to buy his way out mm. of the situation. Yes and offering him the gold sovereigns from the briefcase. and But what happens when Grant opens Bond's briefcase? So the attache case explodes after Grant opens it. It does not, actually. That was a trick question. Okay, okay. Uh, Grant doesn't open Bond's briefcase. He opens Nash's briefcase. Okay. He gets the sovereigns out of his own case, and then he says, is there more in the other case... Which is Bond's case. Which is Nash's case. Yeah, okay. And Nash has... Nash has got the same briefcase he does. Because Nash, the real Nash, is an MI6 agent as well. So why does that explode? Because it's got the same things in it that Bond's does. But Nash had already turned it to explode naturally. You have to turn it to not explode. So that's the default setting. 
the default setting is if someone else explodes. opens it, it explodes. Yeah. So every time you have to. Well, open otherwise, it. it'd be yeah. pointless. Yeah, well, I'm just I'm just thinking for the forgetful people like me, I'd have been like, oh, you'd have tear gassed yourself yeah, on day I'd, one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God damn it. Well, yes, these these gadgets aren't without their risks. Yeah, yeah. But yes, it's a brilliant uh, deception by Bond to kind of feign ignorance at what's in the case to begin with. And mm. then he does this brilliant thing of he suddenly speeds up what he's doing. Have you seen he goes all really confident yeah, yeah, to yeah. spook so, Yeah, to try and Nash. get him to go, uh, oh, not, not Nash, uh, yeah. Grant. Yeah. So that Grant's like, I'll do it yeah, myself. Yeah. I know what you're, you're going to get a gun out yeah, of there. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those situations where a gadget from Q is used to brilliant effect in a Bond film without mm. undermining Bond's own natural resourcefulness. Yeah. Because yeah. sometimes some of the films can get criticised for Bond just relying on gadgets and he'd be dead without them. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> it's the combination of the gadget and Bond's bluff and the way that he gets it to be yeah. used exactly yeah, how absolutely. he uses it. Yeah, it yeah. It's a it's a brilliant bit of deception on Bond's part to, to play Grant right into his hands and completely turn the tables on it. And it, for that reason, it's probably the best moment of the film. Yeah, yeah. That scene. I agree. You look surprised. I thought you were expecting me. Uh, so you're Tatiana Romanova? My friends call me Tanya. Mine call me James Bond. The Bond girl of this film plays a pivotal role in the plot. Yeah, and I like that role that um, Tanya plays in this because she believes she's doing everything for Russia. Yes. And it turns out it's actually Spectre. Yes, well, Rosa Klebb is known to work for Smirsch. Yes. But she secretly no longer does that Mm -hmm. and secretly works for Spectre. Yeah. And so when Rosa Klebb calls you, it's like, oh, wow, this high-ranking official Mm -hmm. for the Russian government has asked for me, and and it would be considered presumably a great honour to take on this role, although she's not really given much of a choice. You know, the Cold War era of the person with the power is the person who gets their hands on that device first it is very easy to make that sound incredibly important to a young naive person who you're recruiting for the role you know you can really make a hard sell on that and say you know this is such an important thing you're you're very privileged to have been chosen now go and make your country proud help us steal that atac atac god damn it (laughs) James is so desperate to do For Your Eyes Only. We've got a few films before then, um, but we'll get there. So what do you think of Tanya as a character? Um, if I was to rank all the Bond girls, she'd probably be in the middle. Yes. Um, because as much as she plays an important part in the plot, um, for me, she, as a character herself, isn't strong enough. Yeah, I'd agree. I think when you compare her to... Honey from Doctor No. She's certainly she, not as iconic or memorable. No. Yeah, yeah. But as the film goes along and she starts to get a bit more playful with Bond, mm. this quite sweet relationship develops. Yeah. But to begin with, she's a little bit rigid and stiff and you're not entirely sure whether when she's kind of gushing with love for Bond, whether it's weakness or... Mm. character yeah, you know? yeah and i think that's where yeah that is where the weakness lies for me in terms of her character yeah like you say i think not by any 
stretch a, a bad character, but just probably would end up in the middle somewhere just by virtue of the more iconic characters just pushing her down the list a little bit, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> she's not the only girl in the film. At the beginning, the first time we, we meet Bond, the yes. real Bond, mm-hmm. not yeah, yeah. not downtrodden Spectre agent number four, mm-hmm. he is in a boat or like in a, in a punt or something with our good friend Sylvia. She is, yes. Um, the second time we see Sylvia. Yes, because originally, apparently, it was like planned for Bond to have a sort of semi-regular girlfriend. Yeah, so Sylvia, I, I presume, was meant to uh, then appear in Goldfinger. Yes, um, and maybe change of director or just change of plans kind of yeah. put a halt to that. I think that's probably for the best as well. I was going to say, what are your thoughts on that as, um, a, as a plan? I don't know. I think you've got the regular characters, um, Q and Moneypenny. Yeah. I thought those trio of characters are enough and I don't think you need to have a regular girlfriend for Bond I think it kind of takes away the fact that Bond's having these escapades with these other girls yes. in every film. <laughs> I think it's handled reasonably well in this film but it would be easy to imagine it ending up being a real pathetic character yeah. at the end of it. What I like about her in this film is that she seems to be reasonably complicit in what Bond does and the arrangement they have. Yeah. I don't think she's under any illusions that they're kind of exclusive and... Well, yeah, she, she mentions about the scar that, um, yes. that from another girl. She seems quite happy to be his partner when they're in town together. Yeah. And not be treated like an utter sap. <laughs> she's not hanging on his every... Yeah, and that, that would be... Something word. that I would, I would absolutely hate. But I, but it's easy to imagine that it might have ended up yeah, being that. Yeah, I, I think that's what would have happened uh, had it continued. Like, if Bond jets off to Miami to chase Goldfinger and then well, he's off, where are they going to fit that character in in future episodes? I would imagine Dink in Goldfinger would have been essentially Sylvie's role. Well, that would have meant that she'd have gone with him on a mission, which wouldn't makes sense that's true yeah so what you'd be relegated to is probably either nothing at all for for a couple of films until he was back on home turf or you know a scene where she's pestering m mi6 (laughs) when's bond back you know i wouldn't have wanted to see it become a character that is chastising bond because she's at home waiting for him yeah you know there is that line of i haven't seen you in six months but it's played more in a case of like don't you dare go back to the office yet. Yeah. We haven't snuggled up in your car yet with the roof. <laughs> Even though it probably could have gone down that route had she appeared more. Uh, I don't mind her appearance in this. No, I like um, it. I like it. I like her and I, I think it was right to leave it at that. But yeah. I like that she came back from Dr. No. I like the, the idea that they met in that casino and she went back to his hotel room. He had to fly off to Jamaica. Yep, do his mission there, come back. But he actually called her when he got back. Yeah. She's yeah. quite cute, really. Should we mention Karen Bay? I think we should mention Karen Bay. I think it would be remiss of us to do From Russia With Love and not mention yeah. Karen Bay. Yeah. It continues that pattern that they started with Dr. No, that they got right with Dr. No, of giving Bond these warm characters to work with. Yeah. And Bond can be cold and hard-edged sometimes. And, and so when you meet a character that 
softens him up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. oddly heartwarming in a way. Yeah. And, and you feel like they're genuinely friends at that point. Absolutely, and, yeah. He, they do quite a few things together. Mm. I mean, he even uses Bond's shoulder as a yes. as a way of killing well, a guy. Which yeah, that's, really after, kill. that's after that scene in the gypsy camp where Karen Bay gets shot. Mm. And um, there's this bit where they're, where they're eating and there's a belly dancer Mm, and she right. basically she focuses her attentions on Bond at a certain mm, point, yep. and uh, you can tell there's certain shots in the film where it's not Bond enjoying himself. It's Sean Connery. It's Sean Connery <laughs> enjoying himself. He has got the biggest grin on his face I've ever seen. It almost looks like behind the scenes footage in those couple of shots. Uh, and then the tone sort of shifts and it suddenly, it suddenly becomes oddly dangerous when these rival gypsy girls come out and have a fight because it's apparently the only way to settle mm-hmm. things. How um, I, I don't see any alternative. Well, obviously, the gypsy girls have the fight and then they're interrupted by the shootout that happens yes. and the chaos happens. Were they fighting to the death? Yeah, that was how I understood it. So that's how it would have ended if had they not been interrupted. Well, I guess death or submission. Yeah. I guess if one of them relinquished their fight because they were fighting over the attentions of a of a man yes, who right. oddly is nowhere to be yeah, seen. Like, why is he not the one to make the decision? I know, yeah. Bond has to then make the decision. Does he not? Is that yeah, how it, yeah. It's like that was the conditions of them calling off the girl fight was was that he made was that he decision. settles it. But by that point, they don't seem interested in the original guy anymore. They both <laughs> seem more interested in Bond. <laughs> but I want to know where is that guy? Where? Why has he got off scot free yeah. when he's presumably manipulated them both enough to make them both feel like they were in with a chance? Mm. And he's nowhere to be seen during this fight. You know, he's never never a cutaway to a guilty-looking guy (laughs) over in the corner going, hello. (laughs) The entire blame for this situation is placed on these rival women, Mm. when really the thing that connects them is their lover. This guy's a bit of a sleazeball. (laughs) But I love the implication. It was like, well, that's the only way to settle it then. Okay, fight to the death. It's such an overtly kind of sexy scene. And yeah, not, yeah, I'm not yeah. saying I particularly find it really sexy, but <laughs> it's all legs and teeth. Mm. It's really feisty and, <laughs> you know, it's ludicrous, but it's a hell of a lot of fun. It was Gleb's choice. Her people failed. It was your plan. They followed it implicitly. Impossible. It was perfect. Except for one thing. They were dealing with Bond. Who is Bond compared with Kronstein? Exactly. I love Constine. He's so full of himself. Yeah. He kind of nonchalantly shrugs off any suggestion that there's any flaws in this plan or that Mm -hmm. Bond is of any danger. He's just like, MI6 is so predictable, they'll send James Bond. Uh, (laughs) I love that scene, that he's so sure of his plan because it comes back around and he pays for it. (laughs) Because apparently the spiky poison-tipped shoes uh, were not just Rosa Klebs. Uh, yes. Standard issue for Spectrasia. Shoes of choice, yes. Yeah. They're all walking around with these spiky shoes. Again, accident waiting to happen, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then we have to talk about the big man himself. Yes, Blofeld. I'm sure we'll probably do a Blofeld episode. Yeah, but I'm sure. it doesn't hurt to mention it now. I really like the unseen Blofeld that we see in From Russia With Love and Thunderball. Mm. And I think the voice that he has is my favourite Blofeld voice. Yes, because he he sounds 
very calculating he's in very what he says. Calm and yeah. confident in his plans. And he has full control over that room. Yeah, as much as you can look at the series and think obviously they eventually had to show him. You can't do that forever. I go back and forth as to, you know, whether I think Donald Pleasance is you know, the epitome of Blofeld or whether actually Blofeld to me, and I'm starting to veer this way now more recently, Blofeld to me, the definitive kind of one I think of is is kind of the guy behind the screen in Thunderball, you know, the the guy you don't see. I think there is something uniquely powerful about that character. Yeah, yeah. And I think you've built this character up, you're never going to meet expectations. No, it doesn't help that they weren't consistent with his appearance once he was revealed. When I used to watch these Bond films when I was much younger, I knew who Blofeld was. Mm. He was this bald guy with a cat. So when I first watched From Us With Love, Thunderball, and saw him with hair, that really threw me yeah, off. Yeah, I was the same. One of my first Bond films that I saw was You Only Live Twice. So mm. Donald Pleasance was the first one I, I saw, and I saw the reveal yeah. in that film. So I didn't have five years of build-up to what does this guy look like, like they would have done at the time. Yeah. And so I was like you, when I first saw him, oh, he's got hair in that shot. Yeah. But then if you watch You Only Live Twice closely, he's got hair in some of those shots as well, (laughs) because they replaced the actor halfway through. Yes, they did, yeah. But in some wide shots, you can still see see him over over the top of I didn't know that after uh, you watched that. I don't think I noticed until I saw it on Blu-ray and everything's just a little (laughs) bit clearer. You know, there's a moment that I just remembered. When Bond is getting Tanya to explain what the Lecter device looks like and what the the layout of the room is, (laughs) and she's talking into that tape recorder and uh, they're listening to it in, uh, in MI6 and there's a moment... What does Bond say? Am I as exciting as all those Western girls? Oh, once when I was with Anne in Tokyo, we had an interesting experience. Thank you, Miss Moneypenny. That's all, that's all. Does that contradict you only live twice? Does Henderson ask Bond if he's ever been to Japan and he says, no, never? You might be right there, you know. You've never been to Japan before, have you? No, never. I've just found a plot hole. Uh, yep. <laughs> or maybe... Bond just didn't trust Henderson. Maybe and that's his why. Maybe Henderson saying, "You've never been to Japan, have you?" And Bond's like, "I am not telling that story. No, no, never. No, yeah. definitely didn't come here with M once and have some kind of weird sexual experience." <laughs> the idea that they somehow got into a situation together. They were just drunken idiots that were in Tokyo and they're like, "Hey, yeah, hey, yeah, hey. M's had a few too many." Some Sarkies. Japanese women. <laughs> Yay. Oh, that's a film I'd watch. <laughs> One for the James Bond Cinematic Universe spin off. Oh, <laughs> uh, what a weird, vivid thought that is to end on. Um, high point for you? I mean, it's got to be, hasn't it? It's got to be the. Uh, yeah, we kind of touched upon it, but. Yeah, the, the, the fight on the, on the train. It still holds up yeah, so does. well today. Uh, and there are fight sequences that still struggle to imitate that sequence in that train. Yeah, I agree. There's, I, a, there's a rawness about that fight, and I think that really makes it whole. Well, it's, it, it feels earned as well. It feels like yeah. the build-up to it is incredible. Uh, Grant's character is so good that you almost don't want it to be the end of him. If I were to say a low point by that same standard, um, the scenes that follow for me 
kind of don't live up to it. I'd say it has a slightly underwhelming finale. Yeah. Um, in as much as it has sort of a series of smaller ones. There's a sequence with the boats in Venice, Venice that yeah. doesn't really do much for me. No. And then... The throwing the tape away and then the waving of goodbye. And yeah, the, uh, that whole sequence in Venice seems kind of just a little bit ropey. Yeah, there's a couple it almost of, feels rushed, actually. There's a couple well. of odd little edits when Bond's examining the film and yeah. it almost looks like he goes to say one thing and then it cuts <laughs> and he's just like, oh, nothing, and he chucks it away. I don't know. It just seems like it fizzles out rather than goes out with a bang for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The other kind of low point, although I might enjoy it more watching it now that we've had this discussion, is the pre-title sequence. <laughs> because it's always struck me as being utter nonsense. I could not make it make sense in my head. We've made it make sense. Well, that's what I'm the, saying. The, the mission was to get the disguise in the middle of the hedge maze right. and escape. No, I take it back. Uh, it's not my low point anymore. Okay. Thank you for improving my future viewings of this film. You're welcome, Simon. Let's play games with James. Woo! <laughs> You've been looking forward to this, James? It's been a while. Hopefully I won't embarrass myself by... Oh, you won't embarrass yourself. Okay. This will be a fun one. Okay. You'll like this cool. one. Games with James. We're only five episodes in. We didn't do games with James on the first episode, but already... I was thinking, how am I going to think of a new game to play with you every episode? But I'll try. I've managed for this one. This is called the Film Review Quiz. Ooh, okay. What does that, what does that say I to imagine you? this, uh, you'll be looking up reviews for Bond films of past and present, and I have to guess what film the comment may be from. Is that right? Uh, you're almost there. Okay. What I've done is looked up Bond reviews for films past and present, and you have to guess uh, which film they refer to. Okay, yeah. So exactly what you just said. <laughs> yes, you're right. What I've done, uh, and what's interesting, I think, what's the most interesting thing about this is that I've tried to find contemporary reviews. So reviews from the time. Yeah. You find very different reviews if you look at contemporary reviews of the older films versus retrospective reviews mm. from historians trying to prove their film buff credentials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas at the time, there, there was no particular weight to this series. There was no 50 years of legacy. So film reviewers at the time were quite sniffy about some of them and just being like, this is not a series that's going to take off. It'll be gone in a week. Yeah. <laughs> So, you ready for the film review quiz? Let's go. First thing, James, I need from you is a sound that will play when you get an answer right. Well done, James. Okay, and um, and a sound for when you get something inevitably wrong. Stop getting Bond wrong! Okay, so... <laughs> I'm looking forward to this already. <laughs> this is the first one, so you have to guess the film. Blank is the most vulgar addition to a series that has long since outlived its brief historical moment, if not, alas, its profitability. So I'm guessing that this is a film that's reasonably early in the franchise, that there's been a few films and now they think it needs to come to an end. So I'm going to say The Man with the Golden Gun for this one. Stop getting Bond wrong! You are close. Ooh. It is Live and Let Die. Really? Oh, yeah. interesting. Man. Yeah, that was from Time magazine. Oh, stupid Time, what they're talking about. Number two. Like men of a certain age who persist in wearing tiny ponytails, the latest James Bond film is a middle-aged entity anxious to appear trendy at all costs. A mildly successful attempt at updating a relic, its appeal depends greatly on an audience's willingness to go along for a familiar ride. 
Okay, so I'm going to go for the living daylights for this one. Stop getting Bond wrong! Oh, God. It, Goldeneye? It is Goldeneye. God. I was like, late 80s or 90s ponytail. So, yeah. Okay. Review number three. It's Indiana Jones to the rescue! In this portrayal, one finds some of the lethal charm of Sean Connery, along with a touch of crabby Harrison Ford. This Bond is as fast on his feet as with his wits. An ironic scowl creases his face. He's battle-ready, yet war-weary. See, this sounds like a positive review, and I didn't think it had a positive review, so I'm going to go for License to Kill. Stop getting Bond wrong! Oh, God. It is... The Living Daylights. I was going to say it was one of the two. Okay. Question four. The film moves along at a serviceable clip, but it seems half an hour too long, thanks to the obligatory shoot-em-up conclusion filmed on the largest soundstage in the world, but nevertheless the dullest sequence here. Okay, so I'm going to say, um, because it mentions the largest soundstage in the world, to say it for a more recent film sounds a bit weird, so I'm going to say The Spiral of Me for this one. You are correct. Yes. Well done, James. This is review number five. This movie is, in fact, a reminder of how vital hotels are in Bond films, providing the essential narrative grammar. The checking in, the fight with the stranger in the room, the messages left at reception, the luxury cars lovingly photographed outside. That's a tough one. I don't believe this to be the right film, but I'm going to say it anyway. On a Manchester Secret Service. Stop getting Bond wrong! Yeah, I didn't think it would be. It's a film that contains all of these events. It's Quantum of Solace. Really? In a way, I can understand that, but... Think of all the hotels he stays in in that film. He does, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I just... Because it's a positive review. You just weren't expecting a positive review. I wasn't review. expecting it, yeah. Yeah, I like that film, so yeah. I'm, I can't say it. <laughs> you ready for number six? Yep. The script is the limpest of the lot... And Roger Moore, as 007, is the last man on Earth to make it sound better than it is. I can only presume this is a review for A View to a Kill. Stop getting Bond wrong! Come on! It is the man with the golden gun. You should have gone with your heart, not your head. Yeah. Because I know you prefer A View to a Kill. Oh, absolutely. I'm just thinking what people would have thought back then. uh, It's true. Man with the golden gun is the limpest of the lot. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Yeah. Review number seven. With their rigid formulas and well-worn gags, these films have transcended fashion. Styles in pop culture, sexual politics and international espionage have changed drastically since Ian Fleming invented his superhero. But the immaculately tailored, fun-loving British agent remains a jolly spokesman for the simple virtues of Western civilization. Not even Margaret Thatcher would dare consider slowing him down. Okay, so that narrows it down a bit. Um, so we're going to go for For Your Eyes Only. I can see why you would. Stop <laughs> getting Bond wrong. Uh, no, it's not. It's Moonraker. Oh, really? Okay. Come on, James. This is review number eight. So you can claw some points back. Okay. Bond women are as beautiful as the historic Bond standard, but more modern, more competent, intelligent, and capable, and not simply sex objects. Compared to his previous films, 007 is practically chased this time. My heart says a recent film, but I'm going to go with Octopussy. Stop getting Bond wrong! <laughs> it is not, I'm afraid. It is License to Kill. God 
Okay, number nine. Listen carefully. The grace with which the director hits upon all the touchstones of the film series in his own terms cannot be understated. He brings a distinctive, thoughtful flavour to Bond conventions that lesser directors have often just gone through the motions with. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with Skyfall. Uh, why'd you say that? It mentions the director, and I feel like it's kind of the first Bond film with an auteur for... Not according director. to this review, because nope, you're wrong. wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stop getting Bond wrong! I'm just going to read it one more time before I reveal it. Just take in these words. The grace with which the director hits upon all the touchstones of the film series on his own terms cannot be understated. He brings a distinctive, thoughtful flavour to Bond conventions that lesser directors have often just gone through the motions with. Do you want to know the film, James? Casino Royale. The film is Die Another Day. You are kidding me. <laughs> you are joking. <laughs> Let me just read that again. The grace with which the director hits upon all the touchstones of the film series on his own terms cannot be understated. You cannot understate the grace that Lee Tamahori demonstrated. <laughs> Who wrote that review? I knew you'd ask, so I wrote down his name. Larry Carroll from CountingDown.com Larry. Okay, last one, number 10. I fervently trust this will be the last of the James Bond films. All the pleasing oddities and eccentricities and gadgets of the earlier films have somehow been lost, leaving a routine trail through which the new James Bond strides without noticeable signs of animation. Well, it's one of two films. I'm going to go with Honor Manchester's Secret Service. Well done, James. You are correct, James. Yes. You ended on a high. Well done. (laughs) <laughs> what did you think of your quiz, James? I like that. I really did. Um, there were some trick questions, I think, in there. Um, Never. Yeah, I know. I just want to just go I back. That, I just want to go back to that Die Another Day one, if I may. Yep. Uh, the grace with which the director hits upon all the touchstones of the film series cannot be understated. Because I, c- I can see that you want to understate it. And I'm saying you cannot. Because well, I'm telling you right now. You can almost definitely understate. Oh, just don't get me started. <laughs> well, that just about wraps up our From Russia With Love episode, unless you think we've missed anything, James. Um, no, but I'm sure if anybody wants to uh, mention something that we might have missed, I'm sure we can bring it up in a later podcast. Yes, you can. And you can do so on Twitter, Facebook, and now Instagram. We are now on Instagram. We weren't uh, to begin with. At Bond Jam Cast, we put regular updates on there, particularly the Instagram. We put little snippets up here and there. Do give us a like and a share on your platform of choice. It really helps us uh, spread the good word, spread the jam of uh, Bond Jam. Uh, <laughs> let's not let that become a catchphrase. <laughs> and we are on SoundCloud, uh, soundcloud.com slash Bond Jam. And as I said at the beginning of the episode, you can find us on Spotify if you search Bond Jam Simon. And we are also on YouTube, uh, although thanks to YouTube's strange way of working, uh, we can't get a custom URL until we've reached 100 subscribers. So subscribe now. Yes, what I'll do is I will uh, put the link in the description to our YouTube channel. If you could be good enough... Uh, to give us a subscribe on that channel to help us get to that 100 subscriber mark. 
Uh, after which, if you want to unfollow us, you can. But I promise, it only gets better from here. Uh, <laughs> that's a bold promise to make. So, until next time, spread the jam. <laughs> spread it good. Spread it real good. <laughs> oh, God, that's, that's going to be the sign-off every time now. <laughs> Take it easy, everyone. Have a good day. Cheerio. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.